Who's been enjoying the last sort of this, this new sort of format? It's not new at night, but it is new to the morning. Who's been enjoying this panel approach to everything? It's good to hear different flavours, isn't it, how we put different things, but the same thing. And uh, we, we, are, we are blessed with an incredible amount of people here who have God's gifts on their life that have laid their lives down to bring to us uh, Him. And I just love these guys especially and, uh, and just how they serve us and how and where they go each time they speak to hear from Him, to be able to release Him to us. The Bible says that we're to be releasing the fragrance of the knowledge of God. And so everywhere we go, we release this aroma of life. Well, you need to know life to release life. True, eh? So uh, we're going to release more life today. But before we do that, just in pre-service prayer, there are two words that God gave me. And I said, when do you want me to share this? He said, share this before we start. And the two words are access and possess. Access and possess. Jesus made the way. He made everything accessible for us. But we must possess what is accessible, otherwise it stays unpossessed. And so we have to learn how to lay hold of everything he's laid hold of us for. Otherwise, we come short of something we're to have entered into. Is that cool? So it's one thing to have access. It's another thing to possess what I have access of. He said to the Israelites, you must go into the land. I have made the way. I have made it accessible for you. But now you need to possess what is in the land. If you don't possess it, it will stay unpossessed, which means you'll be unfruitful. And so it's not just he's going to do everything for you, even though he's done all things. He requires you and him to partner together to possess what is fully accessible in him. And so as we look at these scriptures, as we've been looking at, you know, some of them can be a little bit paralyzing because it's saying you need to love this person more than you love these people. You need to prioritize me over you. You need to not have possessions that are in the center of your heart. You need to have me in the center of your heart. Otherwise, you're not worthy of something. And so there's a real wrestle and there's a possession that we need to lay hold of, which is in the Son. Everything is contained in Christ. And I encourage you, and I've probably said this a thousand times, but in your time, have a look at how many times you'll see in Christ, in Christ. Christ is in me. I need to be in Christ. That's the duality of oneness. It's not just enough for Christ to be in me. I need to abide in Christ. It's only when I abide in Christ that I get the fruit of Christ. And so once again, that's two positions becoming one. Cool. So we're going to look at Matthew 10, and um, we'll probably not get through all of it, but um, I'm going to read this particular passage, Matthew 10, and it's similar to the Luke passage, starting in 24, and the title just says, The Meaning of Discipleship. I'm going to read this reasonably quickly. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet none of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Verse 32. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. 
He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Pretty powerful passage, isn't it? And what I love about God, he declares absolute realities. So he doesn't confuse us. He makes it very clear. That's very clear, isn't it? It's very clear what he's saying. There's a very clear reality he's looking for. And there's almost a warning in there as well. Hey, let me warn you. This is what I'm looking for from a people. This is what I'm looking for from disciples. Let me set the standard really high right at the start so you all know what I'm actually looking for. I'm looking for more than people that love themselves. I'm looking for more than people that love one another. I'm looking for more than. I'm looking for the more than people. My people. My possession. And so we're just going to unpack some of this and we're probably just going to focus on the first 24, 25, and then go down to 34. Because uh, I love that word, do not think. It's where it's won or lost in our thinking. But I think. But where did you get your knowledge from? Uh, a wheat bix packet. Well, that's quite not going to cut it. <laughs> All right, so um, thoughts, guys. First, maybe 24, 25. Yeah, I think the, the way the passage starts is, is interesting. Eh? He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough that the disciple become like his teacher and the slave like his master. And uh, To me, what was interesting about that first part is that it says it's enough. It's enough for the disciple to become like his master. You know, and you see throughout the scriptures, you know, like James and John, and even their mums getting involved and saying, look, can, can, my, can my boys sit one at your right hand and one at your left? You know, and I'm sure Jesus is thinking, you know, this is about discipleship. Is it not enough to become like me? You want my position, you know? You, they wanted his position more than they wanted his reality. And to me, this is the, the essence here of discipleship. And he's, say, he's saying, it's enough for the disciple that he becomes like his master. And to me, it can be so easy in the, in the natural world that you can have your eyes on your boss's job, but not actually want the responsibility and, the, and to enter into the reality that your boss has to live from and work from. And he's saying the same thing. Why, why do you want the reputation and the position and the esteem of being a disciple, but not actually the essence and the reality of discipleship itself? You want more the accolades, but you don't want the transformation and the reality. And to me, Jesus is saying here, hey guys, discipleship is not about attaining to some sort of um, elevated platform. It's about becoming like me, and that is enough. And that's what's going to last for eternity. All of these other things are going to pass away, but the reality of my my life, my nature being formed within you—that's enough. That, and in fact, it's more than enough for you. You know. So that was probably the key thing for me. Yeah, I love that, Sam. Because in the beginning of um, chapter. 10, this is verse 24, but at the beginning it says that, um, like my title says, the 12 apostles, but the first line is Jesus called his disciples to him, and it, that's where it is, it's, it's the discipleship, even though these guys became apostles, he, he first drew them in as his disciples, and you know, apostolic is, you know, Jesus was sent from heaven, with the riches of heaven, his reality of his being was sent from heaven onto earth. Now, discipleship is almost like where where we receive from the sent one, and the sent one is bringing with him his reality, and we receive from the sent one, which only then makes us sent. But we have to be disciples of the sent one, and that provision of who he is that has saved us from the, the power of sin and death, has provided for us the sense, um, the sent life. But we can't be sent without being discipled by the sent one being brought forth. And it's interesting, even with um, 
when you're saying about, you know, the disciples and how fighting for the position but not the reality or the, the, the substance of Christ himself, which is enough. Uh, it reminds me of Peter with um, the uh, cleaning his feet. And he's like, no, you can't clean my feet. And Jesus like, you've got to let this happen. Um, and again, the disciples were fighting for the throne instead of the towel. And Jesus is like, if you want to be great, serve one another. Um, and so the sent position is a service position, but um, we, it's being discipled by the sent one, isn't it? And to me, the question is, what makes you a disciple? You know, like, does attending a discipleship group make you a disciple? Not necessarily, you know. And even Rowan and I were chatting this morning. You might have seen that Rowan has decked an all-blacks top, you know. And we were joking about he's a Kiwi on the outside, but he's South African on the inside, you know. And he needs to work on his accent. And, you know, there's, there's so much more that, you know, that Jesus is looking here than just the external appearance, you know. And you can attend a discipleship group and be involved in all the right environments. You can come here on a Sunday morning, but it doesn't necessarily make you a disciple, and I think to me, this is what Jesus is saying here. There's actually, um, there's actually a divide and a sword that's going to come in the further chapters that we're going to look at that actually defines what a disciple is and what a disciple isn't. And it's not about the external appearance or about the gatherings that you come to or about how you present yourself. It's about the inner life that he's looking for, and that's what he's interested in. And I had an interesting example. Um, had a young guy that lived for us who actually worked for Chris I'm not sure where Chris has gone, but this young guy desperately wanted to be an apprentice, um, an apprentice builder, and this was his goal, and he, it was all that he talked about ATS, like every dinner time, he was a laborer, and he just wanted to be an apprentice. All of the other guys his age had finally made it to this apprenticeship position, so he talked about it absolutely nonstop, and Chris finally decided, cool, I'm going to give this guy a shot. I'm going to, um, you know, he's been, he's been on at me for, for so long. Chris was looking to see some, you know, maturity coming out. Um, but he said, look, I'm just going to give this guy a go. And he said, first task is I need you to get some ID because we just need to sign you up with the, the BCITO. So first part of responsibility that would take this guy from, um, you know, being a laborer to being an apprentice. And it took him over, I think, I don't know, Chris will be able to confirm, I was hoping that he was going to be here. It must have been like a year to get his ID sorted, but that, you know, and this young man, he desperately wanted the title, but he didn't want the reality and the responsibility, and all of a sudden, he had the title, and, and so there were some expectations that came with the title, like you have to do book work, you actually have to turn up to work, you actually have to do some work at work, <laughs> and all of a sudden, the title wasn't as flashy as what he expected. He wanted that, but not wanted, he didn't want the reality that, sits, that sat behind it. And so this is what Jesus is saying here. Guys, discipleship is not about just coming along with me. It's about becoming like me. And there's something that I want to form in you. It's called my life. It's called my nature. It's my reality that is, is bigger than any of those things. So, so how, how does that happen? Because, I mean, so often I think discipleship can be just purely seen through the lens of functional. You know, I want to become like him, so I want to lay hands on the sick. I want to, I want to prophesy. I want to do the works, which is part of. <clears throat> but what does it mean to become like him in nature, in character, in heart, in mind? Um, because there's living as a disciple and it's becoming as a disciple. And they're very different realities, even though they blended into one Dynamic. So, what does it look like to become? Um, <laughs> now you take it. No. <laughs> well, I th I think it's um, uh, and we talked about this last time. It's this yielding and adaptability to your new master. It's this the sense of like, um, I am now learning this new life you've given me. I have to learn what this life in Christ is. And so disciple, the word means learner. And so it's, yeah, it's this, for me, I think it's this um, this heart posture and um, 
disposition of the heart that that want that has this desire to learn from the one who gives life, the one who is the lover of my soul. Because he has saved me, I don't know anywhere else to get life from other than this life source. And so I think for me, discipleship is a is a it starts with a yielding and an adaptability, knowing that I'm that you know I do I have a new servant I have a a new servant I have a new master a new king in which um, I need to and I want to deep desire learn from and participate in with and um, yeah and it's just from learning with him that I think speaks out into so can you unpack the learning process so we don't apply natural wisdom into spiritual wisdom um, in a practical way you mean just learning. in the way that when he says come to me and learn from me yeah. so yeah. there's a way in which we learn yeah. which is different to how we would learn in the world Yes, yes. And if we try to apply the worldly learning to the kingdom learning, that's where we get confused and it's all hard and, you know, we get entangled in us. So we yes. need to know the process of learning. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, it's, it's for me, uh, just literally starting my day with him and ending my day with him and through the day. And that looks like um, just... When I wake up, it's just um, praying and being with him, uh, opening my heart and my ears to hear what the Spirit wants to say. Um, when I hear him speak, I've um, it's obedience and it's early obedience and there's an enablement to do what he's maybe said to do. <clears throat> um, it's getting into his, his word um, and submit, submitting myself to the word and by faith um, believing him on his word. And, it, yeah, learning. <laughs> and I think what I, what I hear you saying and what I hear Greg saying is, as well is that the, the kind of le- when it, the learning that comes through this process is very different to just opening up the scriptures and learning facts and figures and academic knowledge. Eh? You know, it's, it's, it's learning through revelation. You know, it's, it's revelation knowledge that when you, you, you receive the word of God through revelation that does a work on the inside, you know. Um, and, I, and it starts with a desire, though, doesn't it? It's not like, oh, I should open my word you know, it's it's desiring. It starts with the desiring of wanting to hear and to be, and then you just find that you are learning because you you just love being with him. You know. Yeah, I think the, I think the challenge is is, is um, I guess you'd hope you have a desire, and if you don't have a desire, then you have to start in discipline. And I love these three D's: discipline, desire, delight. And, and the process is that you delight to just spend time. Um, but what do you do if you don't? But you know you should. Do you know it's like there's a wealth of knowledge which is going to change you and transform you to make you like Christ, but you actually don't have a desire. And what you desire is for other things. Let's be honest. Yeah? And so you desire, actually, I'd rather watch Liverpool play and get up at three in the morning, then get up at three in the morning and spend time an hour in prayer. You know, I'd rather sleep in than, than be here, here, wherever, because that's what I have a desire. So it's a wrestle, isn't it? Because he's in front of you going, well, actually, here's life. I love what Mel said, and I'm the one of life, but you don't desire life. You desire your life, which is what we're going to look at. He comes to divide life and life. And so it's like, Lord, help me. I'm a wretched man who actually doesn't desire you. I desire me. So, Lord, help me right now. In view of your mercies, I relinquish and I acknowledge and I repent and I move towards you. So help me because I can't. And I think this is the beauty of this whole thing is you can't and I can't. You can't learn 
without the Spirit of God and without the power of God. And you can know God without the book. So the real challenge is put the book down and have a relationship with a person, not a book. Because I have the Holy Spirit who's the person of the Godhead living within me who wants to teach me all things. And he doesn't need a book to teach me. But I'm not saying don't throw away the book forever because I love the book and he uses the book. But I'm talking about a first place position of learning, which is the spiritual position that God wants to bring me into. So then when you do open the book and you read the words that have been spoken by someone who um, has a relationship with God that's beyond words, you can have fellowship with the people that you're reading and what it is that they're pinned down because your knowledge isn't just based on academic learning, it's based on having eaten and um, drank from the same source of life. Eh? You know? um, so all of a sudden, um, this is no longer a textbook, it's a testimony of people who have come and have received from him living, living knowledge that they're put down in words for others to come and join in fellowship with him. So. Does anyone have a question in relation to what was just said? Anyone want clarity? Yep. Turn it up, Sam, if you can, mate. So I've just been thinking a lot about like the breaking and the humility. Hold on, Luke. Sam, can you turn that? What's your mic there, Kate? What number is it? Four. So with discipline, desire, and delight, how does that fit in with receiving, um, like... Um, like the breaking and the humility from him? Does that make sense? Um, I think so. Um, (laughs) Humility is birth, so spirit-led humility is birth through the breaking of my spirit of pride. Okay, so... um, if I don't have a desire, so if I'm spiritually hungry, I will have a desire. Because I have the spirit of humility, I've fallen in love, and it says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. So there will be an absolute appetite for him if I'm poor in spirit. So if I'm not poor in spirit, wanting to enter into a reality then there must just be an acknowledgement and a recognition that I'm found out that I'm not hungry, thirsty, passionate. And so then it just becomes a matter of, do I want to do something about that? Do I actually want to invite God in to ask me to do a work in me to create a hunger that I don't have, that I can't create out of my own ability? And that's the tension and that's the mystery because there's no pill you can take for that. There's no process. There's no methodology. It's between your heart and his and he knows your true heart. So You can say, yes, I do, but in your heart you're going, no, I don't. And you can say, no, I don't, but yes, I do. (laughs) And so he's looking at your heart. So he meets you at your heart's cry to bring you into. Now, you can go from literally not having a desire to delight because at the falling of oneself or the work God does in the moment through a crying out, through revelation, he can take you at 100 miles and go from boom, boom. And you can live your whole life from delight and never go back to discipline because through revelation, the substance you receive called the Word of God creates life in you. And that's what makes this either exciting or boring. This is not boring. This is incredible. This is a food source that I need to live if I'm going to be like Christ. You see, what it says here is we're to be like Christ, doesn't it? And so we have to even believe that we are to be like Christ. So if you think of Christ and you think of how he loved, you think of how he was patient, how he was kind, how he was gentle, how he was powerful, how he was all-knowing, how he could read your mail, that's who we're to be like. That's the church. And that's what the process of discipleship creates. If we enter into an agreement with the Holy Spirit to do the work and not try and learn how it's done. 
So there must be a relinquishing of self. There must be a relinquishing of you and I. There must be a loss, not a giving of my life, but a loss of my life for his sake, which is verse 39, the last thing, if I'm going to enter into life. It's not enough to lose my life for my sake, wanting to gain life, because I hear about this amazing life, but I'm giving it from a self-centered place rather than a selfless, because I've lost. Does that help? No, it's fine. Can I give an example, okay? Um, when, I f- when, when Kirk and I first got married, um, I remember having a really warped and sick understanding of what marriage was. And it was a human understanding um, that uh, was about needing Kirk to be a, a husband that would make me feel safe and secure, and and when that didn't happen, uh, I would immediately shut down, and uh, it was causing it was causing issues because I, you know, and I was convincing myself of a reality that wasn't true, and I was actually disillusioned, like really disillusioned, and. Um, got to a point where I had had enough of myself, and I'm sure Kirk had enough of me as well. First year of marriage, she's probably like, what did I get myself into? But, but you know, it, 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 be, it, it took discipline to, to, from all the feelings and that disillusionment I was living in, that, that reality that I wasn't seeing straight, to acknowledge it and discipline every day to, to relinquish the feelings because what that del- uh, delusion can do is self-talk and it tells you what you need to do. It's this anxiety that comes to, to fix and control the other person to make them adaptable to what you're feeling. And to relinquish that is a discipline and it's a loss of self-control, the loss of needing to make others please you. And that was a discipline I had to enter into every day of of because it can get crazy it can even be be a sense of i need to be with kirk so i know what he's doing do you know what i mean can you hear what i'm saying guys that's not healthy that's not that's not christ's freedom as a bride but i didn't i didn't yet know the fullness of marriage i had a a an a not a his understanding and he wanted to teach me he wanted to teach me that he is my husband. And, and so I had to discipline myself every day to go and be with him and literally sit in front of the word and ask the spirit to reveal. And one of the practical things he said to me was, and this was a discipline, cover your mouth. Stop talking. Cover your mouth. And so anytime there was this, if, if I started feeling this way and I'd see Kirk, the, the, the flesh reaction would be to spill out and just tell him what I'm thinking and you know and he just he would just have to take it because then I would feel relieved do you guys hear what I'm saying and and God was like cover your mouth and that was a discipline and so I start I started stop talking because it was almost self-prophecy it was like the more I was speaking the spew out the more I was convincing myself of something that wasn't true and so discipline and now I look at our marriage and it's like you know, that, that, that seems so foreign. That doesn't even feel like that was me all those years ago. But it's now a delight. But that's because, because of Christ. He's given me an understanding of marriage, you know, and, and the, as a bride and the lamb. And it's, it's, it changes everything, but it, it started with discipline. It wasn't delight straight away, let's say that. That's awesome, eh? And I feel like there's there's such a dynamic tension between the you know the, the discipline and dis, you know creating an opportunity for change, but it's not the discipline in and of itself that can yes. can produce that brokenness <laughs> of spirit and and receiving his life in you, you know. And to me, you know, like you with without discipline, you could easily just um, you know, every day, go to work, you come home, you watch TV, um, you maybe come to um, a service on a Sunday, and that's it. You could easily go on living a mediocre, subpar, um, unsignificant, boring 
life for the rest of your, literally for the rest of your life, life could just continue on and, and that's it, that's, that's all there is. And I'm, aside from some sort of radical divine intervention where God comes and intervenes, you can just keep, you might just keep living like that forever. And people do, and people are comfortable with that, you know. But, but, but maybe there's something that you hear, hopefully, hopefully even that you hear from our, our conversations about a high calling and that there's something more and there's a greater life than maybe what you know and have experienced, you know. And so as a first starting point, you position yourself to be able to receive. And it might look like um, taking time to sit and read the word or, or engaging in prayer or having a, com- a vulnerable conversation with someone that you trust. Or, you know, there's, there's a positioning in the hope that he will meet you in that place and bring revelation where there wasn't previously, you know. And so it's not... The discipline doesn't do the work, but the discipline provides an opportunity yeah. where, where there's, a, there's a, um, a connection that produces life. And to me, we've got a, there's, no, there's no rules that if you pray, you will receive, you know, or if you read the Bible, you, um, but there's a, it's just like in a relationship, you know, um, there, there, there's a dynamic um, coming together where you meet him and there's a transaction that takes place where you do you you receive his word and you you lose your life and find a new life you know and so everyone has to find that place themselves you know so. and I think the challenge is as you find that life which is life in him then what he says and his words that are spirit and life start to add up and they make perfect logical sense and so you're no longer getting offended by things you might read. You're loving them and you're eating them. You know? And so this passage we're about to look at now you know, has the potential, if we hear through the flesh lens, to create us to be propelled away from him rather than into him. And so you know, this is important that we, we dialogue like this because in this whole thing, even in that discussion there, you know, that you hear that discipline is discipline to get yourself into his presence. It's not trying to change you. Okay? You have to know the difference between those two things because for too long Christians are trying to change themselves, modify themselves. This is not a modification of who you were born. It's a brand new reality, and it's all a work of divine grace, full stop. Okay, it's not a work of human ability, strength, wisdom, craftiness, guile, whatever. Otherwise, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. So it's a discipline to get you into, I love what Sam said, into the presence of God, because in the presence of God, he can change you. You can't change your mindset that's been bound and has you bind up. You need a brand new mindset through revelation of power. But what you can do is you could recognize the stinking thinking. And then you can acknowledge it before God and others. I don't think very healthily when it comes to Kirk and my marriage. That's a problem because it's going to destroy my marriage. So I need a brand new mindset, God. Give me your mind to see you, how you see me and all those things so I can see the way you see and then speak words of life, not death into my marriage. So you can't be led by your feelings. Because feelings will lie to you. They go up and down. So if you speak from your feelings... Then you speak, if feelings aren't feeling good, you speak death. And so, right here, it says this, this is, I love this, verse 34. So I've just jumped a few verses. Because remember, we, we want to be conformed into the image of the Son, don't we? So the goal is to become exactly like the Son. So do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father. And a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. (laughs) (laughs) He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Man, we need to know his version of what he's saying here and not our version of it. So somewhere, maybe 34. 
do not think that I came to bring peace. Yeah, it's it is. It's, it's one of those. It's one of those verses, like we looked uh, looked at last week and a few weeks ago. You know, when we were talking about hate, that there's so much potential for misunderstanding if you're coming at these verses through the wrong lens, you know, and through the wrong um, natural. Um, way, a natural way of thinking, and I think that's why he starts with "Do not think," like like Greg was saying, you know, and that's deeply offensive to people who are very intelligent and have their lives together, because he's saying that that what I'm about to say isn't going to fit with the reasonable, natural, logical mind. You you need to be able to receive revelation that's greater than natural reasoning to be able to understand what's going to come next. Otherwise, you're going to be thinking that when I'm talking about pulling out a sword and, and dividing family, that I'm into family violence or, you know, um, or, or something absurd like that, because that's how it reads when you read it in the natural. But he's saying, you know, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And you read verses like that, And then you think, hold on a second, Jesus was prophesied as being the Prince of Peace. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he says, wait, hold on a second, don't think that I've come to bring peace on the earth. And all of a sudden, we're getting into the Bible is full of contradictions. The Old Testament contradicts the New Testament, and all of a sudden, we just write it off as being worthless, you know. But actually, in the midst of this, you know, there's there's actually a divine unity in the scripture that he's saying, hey, don't think that I came to bring peace in the sense that I came to make your world comfortable and cushy and everything, you know, rolling along the way that you want it to, kind of like Mel was describing in her perception of what a, a good and comfortable marriage would look like. I I haven't come to bring that kind of peace. I've come to bring I've come to divide and bring a sword between um, not people but soul and spirit to actually bring about a new kind of peace that isn't just conformity, it isn't just peacemaking, it's, it's the sword that comes and divides soul and spirit and brings a completely different kind of peace which is a wholeness on the inside being separated from every person and everything so that you can actually be joined to them in a healthy and right way where you're not sucking life from them like we just heard about but you're actually able to serve and love them um, and so there needs to be a sword that comes and divides one from another um, and brings about um, not conformity but, but genuine wholeness hey? What is the sword? Is it like literally a sword? He rocks up with a sword. So what is the sword? Biblically, what's the sword that Jesus brings? His word. So his word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, cutting and penetrating, dividing between soul and spirit, is able to divide between the bone and the marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts in relation to every single thing that's to do with humanity. So you don't think the way I think. Your ways are not my ways. I am from another planet entering into your planet that my father created, but it's a fallen planet. So I've come to turn it the right way up. So don't think the way you've always thought because I'm about to turn you upside down, but I'm really putting you the right way up. And when you understand this is the thought process that a disciple goes through because why he's making us into his image. He's going to make us Christ-like. Well, I'm not born Christ-like. I'm born demonic-like. I'm all about me. I'm all about self. I'm all about getting mine first. And I'm living for me, Jack. Yeah, That is not going to make me a disciple of Jesus Christ, is it? That's a disciple of a demonic father called the devil. Welcome, that's how you all start. And the process is now, let's show you a new image of who you're to become. So don't think like that. You need a brand new way of thinking, which is in me. And I'm going to come, and he says things, literally says things to test the waters. 
you imagine being his mum and his brothers when he says to you, you're not my mother, you're not my brothers. Now, if you're in him and on that journey, it's, yeah, I understand that, but it's like, hold, what, what, hold on a minute, man. we grew up together. We shared a bed together, we ate together. Now you're telling me that these people that I don't even know are your brothers and I'm not? Yeah. What's the problem? Well, the problem is if my mindset's not his mindset, that's highly offensive. And I'll probably walk away very offended rather than walk into going, hey, teach me because I want to learn. That messes with me, so can you help me? Because we grew up, that's, that's, I'm, I'm not in this, I'm outside of this. And so he's saying, I'm coming looking for my people. I've come to divide spirit and flesh, which is within you all. I'm looking for her. I've come to build her. And I need my word, which is an active, powerful source that created creation. And the word does the work. You see, we don't do the work. We don't try to change ourselves. We receive the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, which is a powerful creative source that created creation. And we're His number one creation, are we not? So this is the source, the sword that we need to hear through the Spirit if we're going to be Christ-like. Otherwise, we'll get highly offended at this stuff. Because it says also that guess who your greatest enemy is going to be? Your household, the very people beside you, the ones that you're raised with, your brothers and sisters in Christ can be your greatest enemy. Why? Because one lives to the spirit and the other one lives to the flesh. And flesh and spirit are in direct opposition to one another, Galatians 5. Well, that's not unity, is it? That's not oneness, that's division. So I come with a sword. I want every single person that's predestined to be her, and I'm making a way that's accessible. But unless we possess what is within me and allow me to renew your mind through my power, then there's a good chance you'll be outside of something that I want you to enter into. And so you'll end up being propelled away or denying the power of the sword rather than receiving it because your flesh is going, no, thank you. Now, that doesn't mean a no today is a no tomorrow, but a continuous no hardens the heart instead of a yes. So it's fully possible to have a form of godliness and deny the power of God to create godliness where you go, Amen. Yes, I'm not loving a father, a mother, a husband or a wife, a daughter, a son, my own life more than me. So you've got to ask yourself, what are you not worthy of? So Jesus is literally saying, if this is a reality, this is a reality. Is he not? If you love mankind more, you're not worthy of me. But I thought your blood made me worthy. Yeah, it does. So what are we not worthy of? Because there's more in here, isn't there? And we have to be prepared to ask those questions and learn. That is a beautiful word. Come to me and learn and never leave here. See, it's not come to Christ, get healed, and then go live. It's come to Christ, lose your life, and then discover that you are life you were created for, which is a brand new life, which has nothing to do possibly with that life. Only if I give that and what was in that back. Because there's a brand new kingdom, and the standard is beyond earth. It's way beyond earth. Earthlings go, that's foolishness. What do you mean? I saw that child come out. I partly made a child. I would give my life for that child. I'm so hooked in with this child. Is that wrong? No. But is it greater than your love for him? If it is then you're not worthy. Maybe he wants that affection. Maybe that's the devotion that he is to have. Love me with all your heart, 
so you can be free of a husband when you get one. <laughs> Mum's having a good life at that. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> this is pretty meaty, eh? This is meat, what we're discussing. This isn't milk. This is meat. Want to add anything? Sheesh. <laughs> I think um, I love what you... I mean, I love what you're saying because I think that's what peace does. The peace of Christ actually comes and severs the ties to the delusioned life, to the false reality. And, and it, it divides the flesh and the spirit. And the outworking of that can be there's a divide between people and family. Because of the loyalty to Christ, it creates uh, a severing. Um, and the thing about peace is, remember we talked a few weeks ago, it's, it's the thing that holds us together, ties things together. And so if, if we're tied to the flesh or to the physical um, understanding, then, then what we are tied to is going to become our reality and we're always going to live an earthly life. But I love that it says, you know, do not think that I've come to bring peace on the earth. In other words, don't think I've come to encourage you guys to be tied to the earth because the earth is even that, you know, it's not, uh, earth is not just a place where we get to live how we want to live. Earth is actually described as God's arena, God's arena where he's watching our eternal destinies being played out scene by scene. (laughs) So we're not playing games. We're in the arena of God where he's watching on, angels are watching on to see if there are going to be a people that will be tied to the Lord himself, that will leave all physical ties in reverence and in desire to be with the one who is their maker. Um, and, you know, the beautiful thing about Christ is that he, he is our peace. So we are tied to him. And when he brings that sword and divides us from those earthly unhealthy ties, it actually creates peace. It actually creates peace because it gives we become whole, and it gives the other person the opportunity to be tied to Christ himself and to be made whole. And so, yes, he is a peacemaker. Yes, he is Prince of Peace. He does hold all things together. Everything in him consists, everything seen and unseen. But he is also in the business of dividing anything that is not him. And that gives us peace. And so it's, yeah, we're, it's, it's interesting as well. It says verse... Um, <clears throat> You know, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetop. So what you hear in private, speak in public. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Do not fear the enemies whose judgment is merely physical and temporal, but fear the one who who has the eternal consequences and makes the final judgment. Because we're all going to stand before him one day. And this is the time now where we're in his arena and he's watching on and he's enabling us in every way by the provision of his joining with us to come into the full reality of his life. And part of that is a severing of or a divide of, of spirit and flesh. That's right. And I think to me that the key thing in, in what you're saying is that like we weren't created and life wasn't created and the entire universe wasn't created for us to live for us. You know? Um, that we've that, that we've been you know, it says that we've been uh, predestined to be conformed to the image of the sun, you know, and that's his ultimate eternal purpose, you know. And so I think to me this is why these these verses are so Massive, and and I think they um, they elevate our perspective above the things of the earth, you know. And I just had had jotted down in in my Bible, it says, um, you know, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and that worthy means fit for, you know. Um, that he, you know, 
like what he's saying is like we talked about a couple of weeks ago that he has an eternal marriage covenant for us as his people and naturally if we love other people and other things more than the one we were created to be fit for then we are actually um we are trading our birthright for a single meal you know we're we're trading in earthly things for for eternal things you know and so i think to me, that's what's so so massive about what we're about what we're talking about, is that you know there's a scripture that says our battle is not against flesh and blood. So the enemy that we're not, we're talking about is not that you're an actual literal physical enemy of your family. It's that the attitudes of the the flesh and the thinking and the self-centered nature, if if that has. If, if in a relationship you are not freed from that other person, they will pull you back down to your level, and that's why the soul need, uh, sorry the, the sword needs to come and cut and divide so that instead of being brought back down in, in every relationship to, to living in this, this self-centered way, you're actually freed from the influence of yourself and of, and of the other person so that now all of a sudden you can be a peacemaker and you can call someone else up to, to, to being in him as opposed to that person having that unhealthy influence on you. And so all of a sudden you're making peace um, because you are no longer um, you know, in this, this two-way mutual life-sucking relationship, you are able to offer the other person um, a, a, an op- like Mel was saying, an opportunity to come and be joined to him in what it is that he's doing as opposed to being negatively influenced out of what he's doing. And so I think that's what he's saying, that the enemy is not necessarily the physical person, it's what's operating in that person and what's operating in us that needs to be, um, you know, divided so that we can have his life um, being at the center um, of our innermost being. I think your greatest enemy is your inner me that is still unredeemed by the power of Jesus Christ. That doesn't disqualify you because he loves the whole of you, but it gets in the way of discovering who we're called to be. We're going to just unpack this over the coming weeks, so we're going to leave it there. Um, there's a lot to dig into, but I'd encourage you during the week and during the weeks to learn and ask the Spirit, your teacher, to teach you and to bring to light what's sitting here because this is concealed, waiting to be revealed if it's not revealed within you yet. So it's a concealed reality that God wants to reveal it within you through the learning of the Holy Spirit opening it up.